this thing on. Uh, before I start the message, I want to share with you a story I heard last night. I talked to my lifelong friend on the phone yesterday and got off. He calls me about an hour later and he says, I've just got to tell you this story. I forgot to tell you this story. I said, all right, what is it, Barry? He said, well, you know McFarland Bakery in Hendersonville? He said he knows McFarland Bakery. But anyway, it's like our Blackbird Bakery here. But it's the bakery that's been there forever. He said, well, that guy that runs the bakery is my cousin. And he's a graduate of University of Tennessee. He's a big UT fan. And he said, uh, his son started going to football camp years ago and went to Nick Saban's football camp. Got to know him. He said, uh, we let him have one of our carrot cakes from the bakery. And he liked it so much, we've been giving him a carrot cake every year. He said, so anyway, we were working on our orders. And he said, uh, I called up there, University of Alabama, and talked to the secretary, and I said, we just want to know if Coach Saban wanted his carrot cake this year. She said, I, I don't know. She said, who are you? I said, well, we're from McFarland Baker. He said, look, I'm sorry. I hope you understand, but I have got to check this out. There's a lot of people out there that want to poison Coach Saban. And we need to make sure you're not, you know. So anyway, and of course, he ended up getting, the, they gave him the carrot cake and everything. He called back. But I got, I kind of, I did kind of get a kick out of that here in Tennessee territory. Especially a Tennessee bakery. A lot of people, okay, I'll leave it at that. We are in Hebrews 11 tonight. 33 through 36. Or, no, it's not. It's 13 through 16 is the text I want to look at. Uh, Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. So just ask you to stand in God's honor as I read the text. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking or been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for heaven. Thank you for the city that you have prepared for us and that we're still believing. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the people here, Father, who are described in this chapter, Lord, who longed for a blessing and did not see what they would receive until they were in your presence, Lord. Sometimes we get weary. Sometimes we... Don't want to wait to see your blessing. Thank you, Father, that you are faithful and that we can rest upon you fully. And tonight, as we're just reminded of that, Father, speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This message is really dependent upon a simple truth, and it is the truth of there is a heaven, that there is eternal life, 
and that there is a hope that you have that we share. Now, you know, it's, it's tough because this hope is not detected the way we detect everything else with the five senses. You don't s- smell heaven, although you might think of some biscuits your grandma made. But you don't see with your eyes or, or touch with your hands. It's not like that. It's not through those five senses. And, and yet it's a very powerful part of who we are in faith in Christ. C.S. Lewis, in one of his works, wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And the reason we're not quite satisfied here, the reason there's this uneasiness inside, the reason there's this longing for hope, is this isn't home. This is not for which we were made to live for all of time. There's another place that awaits us. And as you look at this section of scripture here in Hebrews 11, he starts out and he talks about all these wonderful people of faith who long to see God. And through that experience, there was some suffering. Uh, Verse 32, they remained faithful in spite Of terrible suffering. Verse 33. They were exposed to public ridicule. Also in that verse. They were persecuted. And they helped others who suffered the same way. Verse 34. They showed sympathy to those who were thrown in jail. And they lost all that they had. But the kicker. Is found at the end of. The text is as we read and as we discover that there's a joy that they had that was found in the Lord. That they were able to to live in that joy and be in that joy. In verse 34 of, of the... Uh, In the verse of the scriptures, it says that we're waiting for a place, a blessing that is ours, that's a promise to be received. Looking at a country that is a country they're looking toward, not a country they're in now. He interrupts a long list here in these first couple of verses. And he asked some questions, and like in verse 4, there's a mention of, of Abel, his brother Cain. And the question is, uh, why would you offer a batter sac- sacrifice and end up getting killed by your brother? Why, why that kind of suffering? Verses 5 and 6, Enoch, why would you walk with God and, and then disappear? Verse 7 focuses on Noah. Noah, why would you build an ark when... Everyone except your family thought you were nuts. (laughs) Verse 8 with Abraham. Why would you leave the security of the only home that you had ever known. And head off to somewhere you'd never been. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Why would you live in tents for generations and wander? 
verses 11, 12, Abraham and Sarah. Why would you dream of having a baby at such an advanced age? And, and all these questions that, that come into mind come to the point they, because they had a different hope. And I want to look at three things this morning from uh, 13 through 16. First is that we live by a different standard. By a different standard. Look in verse 13. It says, all the people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They didn't belong there. It was like uh, they were immigrants and they were on a ship and they were headed to the shore of a new home, of a place where they would find safety. And they could see the shore and they could see the people waiting. It looked like a beautiful, wonderful place. But the boat never reached the land. They never reached the destination. They never saw the hope. They never saw the home that they so longed to see. As we look at these in Hebrews 11, that was their plight. They had a hope. They had placed their whole lives on that God would come through and that God would deliver and that God would rescue them. But the hope that they found, the hope that they saw, it, it wasn't discovered in this life. It was discovered in the life to come. They were looking as someone in a foreign country trying to make their way through a strange city speaking a different language, feeling totally out of place, being ridiculed, and knowing, I don't belong here. There was that sense of their time dwelling here and a sense of a home that they were headed toward because they were citizens of heaven. But you notice, too, they died with a different hope. Says verse 14, people who say such things show they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They were thinking of another country. How often do all our thoughts stay in this country? We grieve, we go to a grief counselor. We have problems, we go to someone to help us to work through our problems here. It's interesting as you look at the Puritans and, and some of those in the earlier church movements, thought of things quite differently. John Wesley, the guy who ended up find, uh, founding the Methodist denomination, he used to say, our people die well. What a strange thing to our ears. He said, our people die well. When was the last time you attended a class at church on how to die well? They, they preached a great deal to, to the people about of how to preach your life, your funeral now. To train people to, to leave behind the picture of one who was looking to another country, another land, another hope. One writer uh, wrote 
that after considering advancements, all the technological advancements over the last several hundred years, concluded that although life is much easier as far as technology goes, people are not happier. And here was her final summation. She said, I believe we're cleaner, more attractive, but more depressed than ever before. Even though we have all this stuff, there's still a longing. The, the writer of Hebrews, in another way, is kind of making the same point. When you place all of your hope, all of your strength here, there's a dissatisfaction. There is a holy discontent as a result. It made me think of that song uh, that we've sung so many times, Southern Gospel song. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Lord, I know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, Lord, what can I do? The heavens, the angels beck on me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. When we come to Christ, the satisfaction of this world, the pursuit of the flesh, the pursuit of the things that are supposed to uh, fulfill us, don't fulfill us. And there is an understanding inside that, man, when I'm not walking with the Lord, I'm this, I'm in trouble. There, there's not that satisfaction. There's a misery. You can run from the Lord, but that doesn't mean that you'll have the peace of the Lord. You can run away from the Lord and He'll love you, but you'll still be miserable until you return home, until you head back to Him. As it talks about in this scripture about strangers in another land, you know, most dogs, when they see somebody they know, or sometimes I wonder with our dogs, sometimes they bark when they see somebody they know, uh, especially when they're around us, there's a peace or a comfort. But when they see a stranger... They bark like crazy. Why? Because they're afraid of their territory um, being challenged. We're different. People see us, territories being challenged. You know, we, maybe we're not trying to, but we just have this way of making people feel uncomfortable. Why? Because the God design within each of us. We know there's a sense of moral right and wrong. And when we see somebody who's living for the country beyond this country, there's that dissatisfaction of knowing, hey, I'm not living right. There's things that are wrong. And when the dog stops barking, maybe we're too much at home here, is the picture. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, if you read history, you'll find... Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. In this world. And in one more, um, I want to focus on we look for a different reward. Notice there in verse 16. In 
Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Up in verse 10, as we read about Abraham, it said he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. There's a city that God has made. And cities make you feel... I, when Cindy and I lived in Long Island, and we had to go into Manhattan once a month, and I used to think I had gone to places where there were a lot of people. But I went to New York City, and I, I literally felt like an ant in an anthill. I mean, there were just people everywhere. And for a country boy like me, I'm like, whoa, you know, all these people. As they were passing by and, and, and moving back and forth and, and not talking, lives just running by one another. But the beauty of heaven is it's filled with brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's not like we'll just be running by each other and, and being just acquaintances and never sharing life together. Man, we're going to share it all together. In Christ. We're going to share Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus. And I don't know everything that's in heaven. But I know who's there. That's Jesus. And he's going to make it better than I can imagine. I love that 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. What God has prepared for those who love him. See, that's that's what... Is waiting for us. And it blows my mind away. In verse 16. Where it says. God is not ashamed. To be called their God. Now look. We all try to be good church people. And I don't want to see your warts. Okay. You know I'm not asking to see that. But I know we all got them. But isn't it amazing to think. That God knows even the warts you hadn't found yet. And he's not ashamed of you. That's almost too much to take in. When we think about God having that kind of love for us. <laughs> I mean, you know, we say to ourselves, man, I ought to be a better person by now. But, I mean, just this week, you ask forgiveness and more likely you did it again. We've all been there, haven't we? You lost your temper. You ate too much. We'll leave that one off. Uh, you said something unkind about a friend. You broke a promise and then you tried to cover it up. You blamed someone else. Couldn't be me. You exaggerated to make yourself look good. You couldn't stop complaining. You neglected to pray. You sinned in secret. You murdered in your mind, committed adultery in your heart. You were harsh with the people you loved the most. You broke your vows to God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you and I are on that list. So how is it when you look at that? Why is God not ashamed of me? I'm ashamed of me after going through that list, quite honestly. Why is God not ashamed? 
Um, I read about a pastor in his 30s who heard that he had cancer that was very aggressive. And he would only live for a couple of months. But he wanted to continue preaching as long as he had strength. And as he sought to preach, uh, as he was dying of cancer, he, he was trying to share what God was teaching him. And it was difficult. But what he finally ended up compressing into a message was something like this. 20 seconds and the clock is running. When you start out in the Christian life, you realize you've got a long way to go. But you think to yourself, I've got a lifetime to grow in grace. Even though you know you'll never reach perfection, you assume over the years you'll grow much closer to God. And while you struggle with various sins, habits, negative tendencies, you think, someday I'm going to be a better person. After all, when someone points out a weakness to us, what do we say? I'm working on that. Give me time. I'll be much better. I promise. But what if you don't live long enough to make the progress? That's the dilemma. He said, um, I'm not going to live long enough to get any better. I'm going to have to die the way I am right now. Suddenly, you look up at the scoreboard and where you thought you were in the middle of the second quarter with plenty of time left in the game. To your dismay, there's 20 seconds left in the game. And the clock's running. No time else. What do you do? It's either grace or nothing. It's either grace or nothing. Romans 5, 8. A lot of you guys can probably quote it. We use it so much. The Roman road. and Remember that was real popular in sharing your faith. But God demonstrates his own love in this. While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. This young preacher, um, he made the point, he said, uh, the word still comes from a tiny Greek word. <laughs> Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We were and we are still sinners. The dying pastor, he got up and he said, uh, I realize for the first time I'm going to heaven because of that little Greek word. I am still a sinner and I don't have any time to get better. <laughs> and when I die, I'm resting my hope on the fact that Christ died for me while I was still a sinner. He died for me. It's the truth of the gospel. I don't have time enough to get better. So he died on the cross to pay for my transgression and yours. That's how much he loves us. Lewis Sperry Chafer said that believing in Jesus means trusting him so much that if he can't take me to heaven, I'm not going there. Believing in Jesus means risking it all on him. I don't have a plan B. Jesus is ABC, the whole alphabet. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. A perfect God who is not ashamed of an imperfect me. And has brought me into his kingdom. Who has reconciled. By his broken body. 
his people. Uh, the verse that was quoted this morning in Children's Church by Robert. Yet all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not natural to sin, husband's will, born of God. Born of God. So why do we still keep believing? Because we have a God who still died for us. Although he knew us through and through, he was not ashamed. That did what was necessary that we might know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that grace. We do not have time to get it together. There's not enough time. But there is a Savior who took the time to pay the price in full. And when he set up on that cross, it is finished. It is finished. We are looking to a place beyond this place because of a Savior who looked down upon us. And it took him to the cross and gave us hope. There is a reward that comes because of the work of Jesus. And Father, we need to live with that in mind. When all of our strength, all of our hope, all of our thoughts are on this place. It's so short-sighted, Lord. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Help us to see beyond what is in front of us. That we might behold what is above us. And Father, through that, may other people hear about what a wonderful Savior you are, Lord. Thank you for a chance again tonight to gather, Lord, to look for that heavenly home that awaits us. Father, what do you want to do tonight as we have a time to respond to you, uh, to come to an altar to pray or to make a decision where we are or to come before the people here and share? I don't know, Lord, but I always pray that our hearts are open to your voice and that we might respond to you, God, because we, Father, we know that it's always best to trust you. Sometimes we're slow about it. May that not be the case tonight. If there's something that we need to do, Father, may we not procrastinate. May we act. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.